This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, July 29th. I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today, we share an interview with Eli Scott and Mason Doherty, the grand prize winners of the C-SPAN student film competition. We also have a timely commentary on government spending from the Heritage Foundation's budget expert. Plus, we will read your letters to the editor, and Virginia has a good news story about an organization that is saving the lives of thousands of unborn babies. Before we get to today's show, Rob and I wanted to tell you about one of the newest podcasts from the Heritage Foundation called Millennial Myths. That's right, Virginia. Our colleague Samantha Rank, who is a millennial herself, debunks some of the most common myths plaguing the youngest generations of Americans in a fun and engaging way. If you are wondering what would happen if the Electoral College was abolished or how socialism would affect America, be sure to check out Millennial Myths. Samantha interviews millennials to get their take, then talks to experts on each of the subjects. It's a show by millennials for millennials, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. I am joined on the Daily Signal podcast by Eli Scott and Mason Doherty, the 2019 Grand Prize winners of the C-SPAN Student Film Competition. Eli and Mason are rising seniors at Imagine International Academy of North Texas in McKinney, Texas. Eli and Mason, thank you all for joining me today. Thank you for having us, Virginia. Thanks for having us on. So this year, C-SPAN received nearly 3,000 documentary submissions from over 6,300 students from all over the country. And all of these documentaries had to answer the question, what does it mean to be American? And Eli and Mason, your film won the grand prize. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Now, how did you all answer that question of what does it mean to be American? So we really started at a position where we wanted to find something that people wouldn't typically think about when it comes to being an American. I mean, we've got the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We have all of our founding documents. We have the ideals of the founding fathers that remain with us. But we wanted to take it into a direction that has existed from then and existed till now. And we found that to be uh, holding your government accountable and the responsibility and the role of citizens in preserving our uh, democratic republic. And that's how we got there. Um, yeah, I mean, holding your government accountable is a truly unique American aspect, and not many other people around the world can claim to enjoy that freedom and privilege. And so, although it's a little bit unconventional, I think it honestly is one of the most important ones in withholding our integrity and structure as a society. Yeah, absolutely. And how how did you answer that question of, as, as American people, how do we go about holding the government accountable? Um, what we agreed on and what we learned from speaking with numerous people from different political leanings is that it starts at a local level and a state level and then onto a federal level. It is so easy and almost effortless to be active in your local community on a political level. At your city council, you can pretty easily get a uh, meeting with your mayor if you live in a small town, medium-sized city. And they're the people who listen to you. They're the people that you can talk to and suggest maybe policy, anything like that. And you'll see those changes in your daily life on state and federal issues. You can hold them accountable. You can elect who you want to be in power. You can uh, communicate your views by voting. 
But it's a lot easier to do that on a local level, and that's where it all comes from. Yeah, I think it's a common misconception among the general public that, I mean, of course, we see on the news, Trump, 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 executive, 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 Congress. And then that becomes ingrained into your heads, and you begin to think of it as a distant kind of goal to where only the privileged and people with money can attain that. Mm -hmm. And so reverse engineer it. Who actually consents to those who what's what's impacting you directly and it's not those people necessarily while they yes they can the biggest impacts you'll see on your day-to-day life are coming from the people who might live in the same neighborhood as you and once you're able to realize that and put into action specific goals you can like i mean collectivize with people who you live around be nice to one's neighbor so um starting at a much lower level one of the common themes that we found to be the most significant impact to you as an American citizen. And one more thing. Um, it was a completely bipartisan issue of holding your government accountable, uh, fighting corruption. We spoke with people from uh, more progressive grassroots organization like Represent Us. And then, uh, of course, the Heritage Foundation, uh, a libertarian legal scholars. Um, and everybody had different interpretations about how to hold one, one's government accountable um, but it's something that really tied everyone together. And I think that really showed in the final cut of the video. It's something that pulls everyone together, no matter what your political leaning is. Can you share a little bit about the process of actually making the film? I know you both put so much work into this project. Did you have a favorite part? Was there something especially challenging that stands out in your mind? Of course. So my background is in freelance video production for companies and people in my community. So this is what I love to do on a daily basis. And when we were approached with this opportunity, I said, yes, let's do this. Although I had never really shot a formal documentary that you think of when you see on like Dateline. So there was a lot of learning. Um, We both collaborated quite significantly. Eli more so on the people, PR, getting things scheduled. And then my focus remained on how do we communicate what we're talking about in the best way possible to the people who would be watching it. And so it was a very dynamic relationship, and I think that was what made it stronger is that we could each specialize in our own areas and kind of make things go a lot more smoothly so that the quality in the end would be higher. Um, I think the hardest part, uh, and we didn't realize this initially, was just how long it would take to edit and how many possibilities that we would have and different directions that we could have taken it in in the end, that would have conveyed widely different messages. So we spent a good month in the editing room last December trying to finalize and iron out the final the final copy, the quote-unquote final, final copy that we were happy with. Absolutely. Um, I think the collaboration aspect is what really made the video how it is. I mean, we're both passionate about our own things. You're more of the visually creative, and that really showed it was a wonderfully made, wonderfully executed video. And... Being a really big uh, fan of debate and history and politics, um, I was able to really search and research things and speak with people that I'd been wanting to speak with for years and really delve into the whole issue of corruption and government accountability firsthand, whether it was um, like special interest groups, it was uh, Professor Randy Barnett at Georgetown Law or anybody of that sort. I mean, it was a really interesting thing to undertake and the collaboration really shone through. Yeah. So you all are both rising seniors in high school. That's 
Where did this interest in politics and specifically, you know, conservative policy come from at your young age? Yeah, so we're both, I think we've we've been both in the same grade and at the same school for a while now. And through connection and friendship, we were both involved in our school's youth and government program. And we have a fabulous history teacher, Miss Presley, if you're out there, thank you, <laughs> who's kind of nurtured our interests and I think it's just kind of in us. That's a commonality we've had, and we've been able to engage in certain debates and conversations over things. And that that's kind of how we call it. you want to add to that? Yeah. The wonderful thing about um, Mason and I is that we're always debating, even arguing sometimes about ideas politically. Even though we're kind of on the same side of the spectrum, we we have that ability to disagree with each other and still get along. And I think that's wonderful, and that's what uh, the more conservative side kind of champions like you, you you can have disagreements with each other and get along and not fight and that's sort of something that's been catalyzed through youth and government through other extracurricular activities even growing up in texas has probably had a lot of an influence on it but really seeing what the conservatives the republicans are doing in washington currently uh and what they've done in the past it's been a really interesting thing to live through and it's had a big influence on my views on politics, and I think a lot of other people in our generation. And I think it's going to continue to grow as people go into college in our generation, and it's going to end up pretty pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you did so much traveling as you made this film, and you came to D.C., and you did interviews at the Heritage Foundation and on the Hill. What was maybe one or two surprising takeaways as you were meeting with these various leaders from across the aisle? One of the most common things I found on both the local and federal level, is how nonpartisan of a topic this is. And there's some deep importance to be had with that. Yeah, we saw um, no matter who we interviewed, there were things that tied us all together. Um, Young Americans, old Americans, uh, conservatives, liberals. And that was wonderful. I mean, scholars, people at special interest groups or grassroots organizations. It was really wonderful to see. And I think that really, really, really showed in the video and the final cut just how nonpartisan of an issue it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I watched the film. It's excellent, so strong. You all did an amazing job making it. How has it been received by your peers? I'd say, well, it, I think it confused them a little bit because traditionally in class and outside of school, we're usually associated with a bit more conservative-leaning values. But the way I, we tried to present this video was that this isn't a partisan issue. This is something that everybody needs to be concerned about and that unites us all. I had people, extended family, who watched it who I'm not as close to, but they were legitimately wondering what direction that we were going with. And so the fact that we were able to trip up even some of the closest people that we know and make them question, it, what what is this truly? And so that was a really surprising reaction we had. Yeah, the impressive thing is that I think a lot of people had different takeaways from the video. The more progressive, more liberal people that saw the video and commented on it basically said, well, good job communicating more progressive values and stuff. They were impressed that as Texans, we we kind of took that on. And then maybe a teacher or a family member who was more conservative, like really took away uh, the issues of suspicion of power or um, – also limiting the power of the federal government. So everyone took something away from it, and even the peers. I mean, we have a very diverse class of people everywhere in the political spectrum, 
And everyone really had their own takeaways. There were no real uh, like negative comments. Nobody was offended by the video. And that was really cool because there are a lot of other ways, as Mason said, that we could have cut the video up, extended it, added more clips in, where it could be extremely partisan based on what people said, how we edited it. And yeah. Beyond the politics side of it, people really enjoyed having a way who may have not been as familiar with the topics we discussed. They were able to kind of connect the dots in their own heads. And I think that's what's so special about video is we're able to present a maybe more complex topic, but present it in such a way that anybody who wants to can become familiar and engaged with it and learn something that they had not known beforehand. Let's go ahead and take a listen to a clip from the film. And we're going to Washington, D.C. to drain the swamp. To be American means to hold your government accountable because America has a corruption problem. In a recent Gallup poll, 75% of American respondents said that political corruption was widespread in the country's government. When an American thinks about political corruption, it's common to think of criminal bribery and illegal money, though that's not all that constitutes it. Political corruption can be defined as any abuse of power or distortion of democracy that undermines the interests of the people. So what is the role of citizen accountability in our government? So if we live in a representative democracy, it's essential and definitive of what America means that we hold our representatives accountable. If they don't reflect the people, then the entire concept of the American experiment doesn't work. The American people are behind it. What happens when you get to D.C. uh, is a totally different story. I'll include the link to the video in the show notes so that our listeners can enjoy watching the whole film. But Eli and Mason, what is next for you all? Would you like to keep on making films? Would you like to continue to be involved in political thought and debate? Well, C-SPAN is hosting the 2020 student camp competition. (laughs) And with the election coming up, it's very tempting to, I mean, we can both vote this election. And so I think there's just as much potential this time around. I mean, what do you think, Eli? I absolutely agree with that because uh, the topic revolves on issues that uh, we would like the candidates in 2022 um, examine or bring as part of their campaign. And I think that this gives us an opportunity to communicate to potential voters, people in our generation, anybody who views the video. I mean, that's going to be what the power is. So I agree. It's very tempting to do that. Besides that, I think some future steps, future goals would be to keep filmmaking as a medium that we always use to express whatever we're interested in. Politics is one of the biggest things. Um, debating, having open discussions, freedoms, freedom of speech. It's all really good things that can be communicated through video really well. And it broadens the audience of um, politics as a whole, especially with uh, young filmmakers kind of putting out that content. Um, Definitely. And yeah, just beyond the competition, filmmaking is something that I live and breathe. And it's a lot of fun, honestly, um, to have so much work put into a project. And I'll continue to hopefully do passion projects where not necessarily bound by any sort of guidelines, but that I can manifest what it is that I might be feeling or an issue that props up in a community or something I just want to highlight and help get more attention to. Mm -hmm. And so beyond that, uh, I mean, in terms of career-wise, I'm a little bit unsure currently, though I know wherever I go, filmmaking will be an integral part of it and a powerful medium of doing so. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing future films by you all. Now, where can our uh, listeners find 
your current film. Definitely. So anybody who's interested in seeing the film can go to studentcam.org, uh, just student and then cam. We are, we're located on the past winners page for the 2019 competition. That's great. Well, Mason and Eli, thank you so much for joining the Daily Signal podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks again, Virginia. It's been, been a pleasure. Tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger government? Become a part of the Heritage Foundation. We're fighting the rising tide of homegrown socialism while developing conservative solutions that make families more free and more prosperous. Find out more at heritage.org. The Heritage Foundation's Romina Bacha, a budget expert, tackles a topic that we've heard a lot about lately, government spending. Take a listen. We hope you find it helpful as you navigate the news. When the economy is strong, creating opportunities and growing wages, that's when people experience the American dream. But this dream is in danger of becoming the American nightmare. The future looks bleak. Job losses, lower wages for those lucky enough to keep a job, and massive tax increases on average Americans. For many families, that could mean tighter budgets, less money to buy food and clothes, and little prospect for a family vacation or for being able to improve their financial situation in the future. It might mean working longer hours, taking on a second job, or working an extra few years instead of retiring just to keep up with mounting bills. And that dream of giving your kids a better life than you had, that may be out of reach. This isn't the plot of some dystopian novel. This is our future if we don't demand that politicians in Washington control their spending addiction. Despite their promises to the contrary, every year politicians continue to spend hundreds of billions of dollars more than the government takes in. And every year they put it on the national credit card. And the bill grows bigger. That bill currently averages $67,000 for every single American. If you're a family of three, that's over $200,000. And just like the credit card bill you get at the end of the month, this bill is coming due. But it doesn't have to be this way. There are several ways our politicians can reform their reckless spending habits and save us from this fate. First, they can stop spending billions of dollars on things that have already been identified as waste, fraud, and duplicative services. Second, they should focus on funding the constitutionally mandated duties of the federal government. First and foremost, national defense. The federal government should return control of many programs to the private sector and state and local governments. Programs often work best and cost less when they're run by those closest to the people affected by them. Third, they should reform the biggest social programs in the budget, from Social Security to health care, to return control over health care and retirement decisions to Americans while protecting the most vulnerable. And finally, Washington can keep taxes low and eliminate thousands of heavy-handed regulations that just grow government and siphon away our money and freedoms. The recent tax cuts and deregulation are allowing the economy to flourish. 
which leads to more jobs and rising wages. Higher taxes are not the solution to out-of-control spending. We need to address the problem at its roots. It's not too late to save the incredible promise that is America. But first, we have to convince our leaders to end their runaway spending habits and adopt spending controls. By taking these steps, we can reverse the current course, live in a freer, more prosperous America, and save the American dream for our generation and for generations yet to come. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? If you want to understand what's happening at the court, subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show and in the Morning Valley Mail newsletter. Virginia, who do you have up first? In response to Jarrett Stepman's article, I went to a socialism conference. Here are my six observations. Bryce Nervison writes, We need to distinguish between socialism as a form of government versus socialism as a form of public policy. Canada and Sweden are democratic countries like the U.S., with developed socialized public programs like socialized health care and so on. And Gordon Miller writes, It's hard to believe this is happening in the United States. Years ago, socialists were shunned in our society. But now with the millennials gaining positions of power in our government and embracing socialism as if it were akin to social media, we face a terrible menace in the near term. Your letter could be featured on next week's show. Send an email to letters at dailysignal.com or leave a voicemail message at 202-608-6205. What the heck is trickle-down economics? Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. I'm Tim Desher. And every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot-button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today. We enjoy bringing you a good news story to start your week. Virginia, over to you. Thank you, Rob. Well, Joe and Ann Baker spent much of their first year of marriage traveling the country in a van not on vacation, but on a mission to save the lives of the unborn. The Bakers founded Save the Storks in 2012, an organization that is revolutionizing the pro-life movement with mobile medical buses offering free sonograms to women. The Bakers' vision was to partner with pregnancy resource centers to launch these mobile medical units across the country to serve abortion-vulnerable women, The thought was that a woman might feel more comfortable boarding a bus parked close to an abortion provider to receive a free sonogram than she would traveling to a brick-and-mortar pro-life center to receive the same services. And this has proven to be true. Most women nowadays uh, are making the decision to abort in just a few hours of discovering they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so they're going on their phones, they're finding that location, and they're headed there. And so we need to be experts at marketing. And the mobile unit is a way to intercept and reach that woman right at the moment of decision. And, and in fact, we work with pregnancy centers. So it's all pregnancy resource centers that are offering the counseling classes and discipleship to these women and all that follow-up right that, oh, that starts the relationship right there. And 
Women are making decisions for life every day all over America. Save the Storks now has 45 sonogram buses, and four out of every five women who step onto these buses choose life for their baby. These women are actually cornered by abortion. In fact, 64% of women say they feel pressured into that decision. And so all that we do is provide the alternative competitive services by carrying the magic of a sonogram right to the door of an abortion clinic. And that's where we're seeing so many women make a decision for life right there when they see that heartbeat and they begin to bond with that baby for the first time. What an absolutely incredible organization. And I know that I'm really excited to follow them and watch them as they continue to grow. And if you would like to learn more or find out about how to get involved, visit SaveTheStorks with an S dot com. Thanks for sharing that story, Virginia. I remember that way back in 2014, when the Daily Signal first started, we we covered this group, and it's great to hear about the success that they're having over those last several years. Uh, truly incredible and inspirational. It is. It's really encouraging. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast comes to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network, along with all of our other podcasts. All our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or give us feedback. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to others. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.